Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Pastor Joel Gregory starts a brand new series entitled Non-Negotiables, and this one's going to be a blessing. Make sure to share this with your friends and your followers, and let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. And so... We're going to get into this today. Uh, The title of it is called Non-Negotiables. Non-Negotiables. And I actually love non-negotiables because they're clear to me. They're black and white. There's no gray involved in that, right? It's either yes or no. It's either black or white. And I like that. By definition, non-negotiable means not open to negotiation or discussion. How many of y'all are parents out there? Right, you ever made a decision with your child and they just kept going? And then finally you said, it's no longer up for discussion. The decision has been made. And and if you bring it up again, come on, somebody. Oh, am I the only one? Come on, parents, don't leave me out here by myself. And if you bring it up again, right? So in other words, that's a settled issue. That decision has been made and it is no longer up for discussion. And so let's read our introduction. All of the notes can be found in the YouVersion Bible app, uh, our Linked Up Church app, uh, our, our, our LinkedUp.com, LinkedUpChurch.com platform. Uh, make sure that you follow along because I'm giving you way more than what's in your outline in those notes. So take notes on your own. Uh, all of the verses that I'll share are not in the notes. And I'm doing some of these things on purpose so you can stop spectating in church. And start participating. All right, so let's understand some things here. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in the ancient city of Corinth. And he wrote to deal with several serious problems that he himself considered non-negotiable as their leader and representative of God. And so the Corinthian Christians lived in the midst of a very pagan culture, very similar to the culture that we live in today. And so the lifestyle practices and behaviors of people in Corinth were very sinful. It was a culture in which every kind of moral vice was accepted as a commonplace thing, very similar to where we live today. Temple prostitution was crucial to the economy. Idolatry was interwoven uh, interwoven into all of society. Sexual immorality was celebrated, as we see today. Pleasure-seeking was the main focus of all activity. And then materialism was the philosophy of life. And so if it doesn't have a name brand on it, I don't want it. So the low morals of the Corinthians had become so proverbial among other people groups at that time, if someone lived a particularly immoral life, it was common to say that they lived like a Corinthian, right? And and more of our vernacular, maybe in my generation, it was they lived like a rock star or they lived fast or they lived loose or they were out tricking or whatever it was, right? And and so they would identify them by a very loose lifestyle. And they would say, man, him or her, they're living like a Corinthian, right? And so if you can see where I'm going with this, I mean, it should never be said about us that we're living like them, right? And so we're going to get somewhere today. This will bless you real good. But most of the people of Corinth thought nothing about it, right? They became desensitized just like we can. 
And sadly, neither did those in Corinth who had professed to be Christians think anything of this behave, those behaviors. So in other words, we can watch these shows on television and it's nothing to us anymore. Just two guys kissing, two girls. All this stuff is just normal today. Right? And they blend it in with everything else. Is This is just a normal part of life now. Deal with it. So in the midst of dealing with all of this, Paul writes something that I believe the Lord would not just have us to hear today, but to also understand. These words are not no longer politically correct. If you say these things today, lawsuits can happen, all kind of other things, but they're in the Bible. And so if they're in the Bible, I'm going to say them and I'll deal with whatever comes along with that. Because I know that God is on my side. Come on, somebody. And if God be for me, I'm not really concerned about who's trying to come against me. And so these aren't politically correct words by any means, but I believe it's the very reason why we need to give particular attention to them. So let me take you backwards to take you forwards a little bit. God's been dealing with me for a long time. I've been saved 33 years, and when I would sit in Bible school I would see the scriptures differently than everyone else. I mean, no, typically you'll see the scriptures based off of how you're called. And so I would challenge instructors and different things in a very respectful way. And whenever they would say, you know, something about out there, I would always say, no, that starts in here. And it starts in the church. It doesn't start in the world. It starts in the church. And so my classmates, you know, when you're in a Bible school, there are all kind of gifts around you. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, all these gifts were around me. And they would always say, Joel, God is, I believe you're going to be an end-time pastor. And I believe God is raising you up, and, and then instructors would prophesy that. And I can remember about 17 years ago, my first time actually getting an assignment to lead a church, I went out to a conference out in California. And at that conference, they were making fun of what we Pentecostals, charismatics. And they were calling us charismaniacs and, and all of these other, and laughing and joking. This was the leader of the particular conference. There are thousands of pastors and leaders at this uh, leadership conference. And then as the conference went on, of course, I was mature enough to know how to uh, spit out the hay and chew the sticks, right? Or, or chew the hay and spit out the sticks. I think that's the way it goes. Uh, which way is that? That's the right way. All right. I said it the right way the first time. All right. And so finally, as this conference went on, the, the leader of the conference declared that, that from this moment forward, we will no longer use negative words in the, in the worship center, in the sanctuary. So you can no longer use words like sin, fornication, adultery. And he listed a whole list of names, right? And then roughly about nine or ten years ago, I went to another conference, but it was charismatics at this one. And this leader gets up and he says, there are no negative words. And so what ends up happening, believe it or not, church becomes a feel-good environment that people can live any kind of way they want to because they'll never be challenged in their sin. And I wrote something down, and I recovered it, and I put it in the notes. It's not in your notes. And I can remember sitting there when that pastor said that, and I, I said to myself, but I think I was actually speaking to him. I said, the wages of sin is still death, even if your pastor doesn't preach about it. Amen. 
And so what's happened is we've become afraid of the world instead of fearless in the face of the world. And so all that does is just creep right into the church. And then we start living just like them. Let's read our foundation text. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Now, I really need you to pay attention and follow along. Uh, because if you don't get this foundation, all I'm doing is introducing today. And so if you don't get this foundation, nothing I'll say for the next three weeks will make a whole lot of sense to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 in the New King James Version says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So let's establish that, right? The unrighteous is going to show you and tell you who, are, who the unrighteous are. But the key word here is inherit the kingdom of God. There are always key words in each text. So inherit means that they will not experience eternal life. Everybody clear on that? So I want everyone to capture that. They will not inherit eternal life. Then it's interesting, the next phrase that he says here, and he singles it out all by itself. He says, do not be deceived. Which means this letter is being written to the church. People in the church can be deceived, right? Have you ever made this statement, right? I don't know how such and such got caught up like that. I know they know better. Have you ever said that about someone? Well, well, the thing about deception was if they really knew, they wouldn't have got caught up like that. That's why they're deceived. And so deceived by definition means, this is not in your notes, it means to roam from safety, truth, or virtue. So notice, it's not something that happens instantly. People just start roaming away. It means to go astray. It means to err. It means to seduce or to be seduced. It means to wonder or to be out of the way, right? So what he's letting uh, these individuals know is that uh, those that practice unrighteousness, they will not inherit eternal life. And then it's almost like a warning to the church. Do not be deceived. Goes on to say, neither fornicators, notice that S on the end, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And we'll get into all of that. Each one, one by one, so that we're clear. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So, so believe it or not, in this room and online, all of that is represented. <laughs> but, see, when you see but there, then you cancel out everything I just said up to that point. Right? And so we're not going to get there today, but that's going to really lift this entire environment here because God gave us a pathway out so that we can be an awesome example to the world to show not only can God bring us out of it, he can bring us out of it and allow our lives to be a light to those that are still in it. I'm going to prove all of that to you in the world. He'll bring you out just to place you up so that you can be a light to the environment that you came out of. says, but you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get to point number one today. Context is king. 
Now, in Bible school, they taught us that you cannot start your message in the middle of a chapter, right? You have to go back and understand everything that is said up to that point and everything that it says after that so that you don't take what you just read in verses uh, 9 through 11 out of context, okay? So, in the original language here, Paul begins our passage that we just read with a little word. Now, it's not in the translation that I just read today. It doesn't show up there, but he's using it to show us in other translations how important this word is, and it is the word or, O-R. And as the New American Standard puts it, it reads this way. Could you put the New American Standard up for me uh, of verse 9, First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, 6 verse 9? It says, or do you not know And that phrase there indicates what Paul has to say in our passage today is really part of a greater and larger context that preceded that, right? And so that's why the or is there. It's really a part of a greater and larger context that preceded that. So it's really at that point saying to them, or do you not know? So in other words, everything that they had done up to that point It dawned on Paul because you're still doing these things, or do you really not know that those that practice those things aren't going to receive eternal life? Everybody clear? So this shows you in church we can keep living a certain way without a full understanding that that's going to keep us out of heaven. Everybody clear with me? So now, let's go backwards in order to go forwards. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I remember this is a highly immoral culture that they're living in. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and then 9 through 13 out of the Passion Translation. And so again, this is a part of that larger context, okay? So notice what he says. It has been widely reported that there is gross sexual immorality among you, the kind of immorality that's so revolting, it's not even tolerated by the social norms of unbelievers. So can you imagine the church is acting in a way that is not even tolerated by those that don't even know Christ? So in other words, the unbeliever would not even tolerate that in their, in their environment. says, are you proud of the fact that one of your men is having sex with his stepmother? And if you go back and read it in other translations, the son was actually bragging about that to everyone that was around him. Literally bragging about it. Okay? This is going to bless you now. Shouldn't this heartbreaking scandal bring you to your knees in tears? Interesting language here. You must remove the offender from among you. So so you you understand what Paul is saying here? Get them out of the church. We don't do this anymore. We let them run through the church. You all want a little bit more of this? You sure? Have you learned anything up to this point? All right, let's keep going now because it gets stronger. Did he really say that? What did he say? 
You must do what? What do you say, Minister Johnny? You must do that. You must do it. Moving, removing. Even though I am physically far away from you, my spirit is present with you. And as one who is present with you, listen to what Paul says. I have already evaluated and judged the perpetrator. So if you understand why God puts pastors over churches, is to judge issues that are going on in churches. So Paul said, even though I'm not physically present with you, my spirit is with you. Right? Because I'm your overseer. And I've already evaluated this and I've already judged the perpetrator. And notice what he goes on to say. We all understand this, right? My kids have two parents, right? So, so we might come to a judgment or a decision about one of our kids. Or let's just say my daughter, she's sitting there. Not an actual story, not a true story. One of us may not be able to be present when the other one is delivering the judgment. But I mean, you know, the spirit of the other one is with them because they've already talked about it and agreed about what the judgment should be. And so the spouse's spirit goes with the other one to execute the judgment on whatever decision has been made about the child's actions. That's what Paul is saying here. I've already evaluated and I've already judged. I've already put the call in. So even though I'm not physically present with you, my spirit is present because I made the decision. Everybody clear? All right, let's keep going. You'll see what all of this means when we get back to chapter 6, verse 4. So call a meeting, and when you gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus, and you know my spirit is present with you in the infinite power of our Lord Jesus, release this man over to Satan for the destruction of his rebellious flesh and hope that his spirit may be rescued and restored in the day of judgment. Strong language. Does anyone understand what that means? You all said, no, pastor, that's why we came to church, so you could tell us, <laughs> right? And so since the person is bragging and unrepentant, what Paul is saying, go ahead and let them destroy their lives. See, and what we don't pay attention to here, he's literally telling you that sin will bring destruction to your rebellious flesh. And what the hope is, is while he's out there, he'll come to himself. Right? We can still pray that God will send laborers across his path. Right? But how many know we can't let him stay in this environment if he refuses to repent? And he's going to go around bragging about his sexual conquest in church. Let's turn his rebellious uh, flesh over to Satan in hopes that his spirit may be rescued and restored in the day of the Lord. I wrote you in my previous letter asking you not to associate with those who practice sexual immorality. Wait a minute. Don't associate with them? I'm reading the Bible, folks. See, we tolerate this stuff. And the church ends up looking just like the world because it no longer has standards. Isn't that interesting? Now, he's going to add the balance to it. He says, don't even associate with someone who practices sexual immorality. 
Yet in no way, listen to Paul now, was I uh, uh, referring to avoiding contact with unbelievers who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or those who worship other gods. For that would mean you would have to isolate yourself from the world entirely. Now, hold on. Wait a minute. Now, did I just read that right? I need to come down here for a minute. Did I just read that right? He said, don't associate with the Christian who practices immorality, but go have lunch with the, with the one that's a swindler, that's immoral, that's greedy, and that worship other gods. Right? He said, because if I take you out of the world, there'll no longer be a light in the world. But the understanding is that you're going to maintain your conviction when you're eating lunch with them. And they're going to be able to see a clear difference between you and them with hopes that you'll be able to win them to Christ. But the one that's practicing that, that calls themselves a Christian, avoid them. But the one that's greedy, immoral, come on somebody, worships other gods. Don't isolate them. That's interesting. See, we don't see it that way, do we? Sometimes we support the one that's practicing the immorality and shun the one. Don't mingle with them or even have a meal with someone like that. Well, let me go back up. I got ahead, right? This would mean you would have to isolate yourself from the world entirely. So Paul's saying, I certainly don't want you to do that. But now I'm writing to you so that you would exclude from your fellowship anyone who calls himself a fellow believer and practices sexual immorality. Exclude them from your fellowship. Or is consumed with greed, exclude them from your fellowship. Or is an idolater, exclude them from your fellowship. Or is verbally abusive, because how I many know we go off on each other? Exclude them from your fellowship. A drunkard or a swindler. So now, if this is any of you, stand, we got to get you out of here right now. Just, I'm just kidding. Look at y'all. Y'all like, oh, Lord. What's going on today? Woo, what did I walk into today? <laughs> I'm only kidding. Right? But, but listen to the language here. This is so good. He says here, don't mingle with them or even have a meal with someone like that. That's in the church. Should be a higher standard in here, folks. I haven't stopped believing, God, that that people will wait until their wedding night to have sex. That's no longer believable in a lot of places today. Nor is anyone even attempting to get there. I still believe that a husband and wife can be faithful to each other their entire marriage. You see how I'm not getting a lot of amens in church. 
I still believe that we can worship the true and living God in him alone. And he can meet all of our needs. Come on, answer all of our prayers. Come on, heal all of our sicknesses and diseases. Meet every need that we have. Come on, somebody. I still believe that. So it's interesting here. Verse 12 and 13 says, what right do I have to pronounce judgment on unbelievers? So notice, we don't have a right to judge the world. And I'm just, again, I'm going to be very clear. And that's why the world doesn't respect the church. So you're going to see where I'm going with this message. While we're judging them, they can see we're doing the exact same things. Come on, I, look, I need a little bit better amen in church. So, so Paul said, let's just keep our mouth off of the world. And let's deal with what's going on in our house. He said, that's God's responsibility to judge the world. But those who are inside the church family are our responsibility to discern and judge. So it's your duty to remove that wicked one from among you. Folks, listen to me. There's still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Whether churches preach about this or not, it's still true. Right? And if I become unpopular because I minister the truth, then so be it. If all that's left is me, my wife, and my children... I will not stop ministering the truth of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I will not stop living it with conviction because we should be better than that. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and let's read that out of the New American Standard Bible again with that background, with that backdrop. Then we're going to go back a little further uh, into the 6th chapter and understand some more. So it says, or do you not know? So that or is a continuation of everything that he said prior to that, that we just read some of this. Know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the, the uh, kingdom of God. That is non-negotiable. They that practice those things, that is non-negotiable. They will not. Then he emphasizes, do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. Right? And so there's this whole agenda out there about love is love. Nobody can define love but the one who created it. I need a little better amen than that in church. Can, can, can nobody define what love is, but, but the one that created love. So, so we're going to see where all of this stuff comes from. We're going to see what's, what bursts all of it. Where the Bible is very clear, folks. Don't let these psychologists and these sociologists mess your head up. Do not be deceived. So letter A. Paul is dealing with Christians taking other Christians to court. So as we read back at the beginning of chapter 6, we find that Paul was dealing with the problem of professing Christians taking one another before an unbelieving judge. Now, you got to understand 
chapter 5 to understand what he's saying here, right? So if you, if you get in the context here, we're literally trying to change the world without changing ourselves. Now, all of us should vote, but your vote is not going to change the world. Judgment starts at the house of God. And what God's heart is, is to build up his kingdom so it can be opposed to their kingdom so that the world can have a clear choice between right and wrong. And they'll be able to see for themselves the benefits of those who do things God's way versus the results of those who do things the world's way. Okay? Everybody clear? Still glad you came to church? Can I get a real good hallelujah in this place? Can somebody say glory to God? Can somebody say God is good? All the time? And all the time? God is what? Is he good to you? Yes. Well, say, God is good, God is good. To, me. to me. Say, God loves me so much. Me so much. He, gave me he gave me a pastor who's not afraid, not afraid. To, tell to tell me the truth. And I appreciate that. I appreciate Go ahead and give God a real good praise. Okay. And so we find here Paul dealing with the problem of professing Christians taking one another before unbelieving judge in a civil court of law and suing each other. And he says in verse 1, I dare any of you, Paul writes, he is upset, dare any of you, Paul writes, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. And we're going to explain what that means here in a moment. And it's extremely important to notice here that he goes on to address this matter. He shows how utterly inappropriate such a thing is given their identification with Christ and their destiny in him. Right? And so this really, when I tell you, when I studied this, this blessed me so good. Because how many of y'all have ever been done wrong by another believer? Look around the room. Raise your hand if you've ever been done wrong by another believer. This is going to give you some insight in how to handle it because it'll happen again. But it's going to give you some insight in how to, help, how to handle this in the future. Now let's pick up at verse 2. Look at the high level that Paul puts us as believers on. He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? So now we understand the phrase living like a Corinthian. So, so we can't judge the world if we live like the world. Right? And so if you understand what he's saying here, when we transition, God will judge us, and then we will be seated at the right hand of God the Father, along with Jesus Christ, judging and ruling the world, which means we've got to come out from among them. So he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Listen to this, folks. We, the saints, are going to judge the world and angels. Of course, we're referring to bad classes of angels, but whether you know this or not, and I've got to do a better job of teaching it, but how many of you know at the moment you gave your life to Christ, there was an angel assigned to you? Right. And the angel hearkens unto the voice of your word. So every time you pray and you speak the word of God, angels take those words and begin to execute them in the atmosphere. 
whether you realize that or not. You, and you get to judge that, angle on, uh, that angel on their ability to deliver for you and come through for you and protect you and save you. You don't realize it, but a lot of accidents you missed was because an angel was there to, to curb you and guide you another way. Come on, I'm preaching better than anybody saying amen right now. Come on, how many times have you driven and, and just right soon as you get up to the accident, you realize, had I left a minute early, I might have been right in something like that. See, we don't understand that. The scripture tells us, be careful how you entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unaware. Whether you realize that or not, there is one with you and present with you. They visit you. They give divine visitations. They're there to help you, support you, guide you, pave the way for you, go before you, give you favor, fight your battles for you. Come on, somebody. Help you to win in life. And we're going to judge them someday. And we can't even handle this little small stuff. See, like not sleeping with people we're not married to. We can't even handle that stuff. You see what he's saying here? Everybody see what he's saying here? Right? Then he goes on to say here, uh, how then, how much more things that pertain to this life? Verse 4. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that, there, is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. That's already bad by itself. But what makes it worse, you take two believers and put them for, before an unbeliever and ask the unbeliever to judge your situation. So why do we not accept the wrong? Why do we not rather let ourselves be cheated? Right? If we truly are believers, how I many you know there's no weapon formed against us that will prosper? Right? A thousand can fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Right? We, we confess all of these things, but we don't live them. My wife and I, we've had people swindle us and, and, and extort from us. And, and I'm not talking little money here. I'm talking six figures. And these are Christians. So most of everything that I'm reading to you, it's not the world doing this to us. It's us doing it to ourselves. And that's what makes it so bad to God. Right? And so I can tell you all kinds of situations. I can tell you a name, one of the greatest ministers of the, man, of the generation that I came up in. I believed in this guy so much when he came to me with a situation. I just believed in him. And he swindled and extorted thousands of dollars. Another time, if I said this last name, everyone in the building, everyone watching online would know who they are instantly. Six figures. My wife and I decided we're going to sow that as seed. How many know my flesh was like, boy, if I see him, I'm going to put his teeth back in his throat. Let me see him. I'm going to put, I said my flesh. Come on, somebody. But my flesh was like, if I see him, I'm putting his teeth back in his tonsils. I promise you that. God was like, sow it as seed. No, you sow it as seed. I'm going to sow my fist as seed in his mouth. I'm just being honest. Can we just be real people here? Six figures is real money. I don't know about any of you all. I just don't like seeing it go at like that, right? 
And, and so we decided, and that was personal money. Yeah, let's make that clear. That was our personal savings. Personal. And, and we prayed about it, Lord. Now, other people took them to court. We didn't. And I think he spent 14, 15 years in prison. 13? 13 years in prison. Now, can I just be transparent? I was a little happy when he went to jail. But I was wrong. Stretch your hands up here towards me right now. But it did feel good. I felt a little vindicated, vindicated there. But here's the point I'm making. <laughs> when we decided not to be a part of that lawsuit and keep our hearts right, now my wife's sitting right there. How much of that did God give us back? God gave us back three times more. In a short period of time, because we did not get involved in that lawsuit. We decided to pray for that individual, sow it as seed, right? Scripture tells us that if the thief be found, he has to return seven times greater than what he stole. So that thief was found, that thief is in jail, so he must return back. Well, so since we only got three times back, let's believe for the other four that needs to come along with that. Come on, I need somebody to shout glory to God in here. Come on, I need somebody to shout amen in this place, right? See, what, what, the, what he's teaching us is when you go to the world, you actually went cheaper. When you go to God, you go deeper. Okay. I'm running out of time just for today. So he says here, why do you not, somebody said bars. That was bars, wasn't it? Let me try that again. So if you go cheaper, then you got to understand that God is deeper. Oh, I don't know. Pray for me. <laughs> All right. So now, therefore, it is already an utter failure that you go to law against one another. Why do you not accept the wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? And then he tells you why. See, think about everything I've been saying up to this point. Then he says, no, because you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. And so in other words, you, you don't trust me because you know if you bring that over on my side, I'm going to expose you while you're trying to expose them. Come on, I need a little better amen in here. See? So, so what he's showing you here, most of the time when people are pointing the finger at somebody else, they got three other fingers coming back at them and a thumb. So, in verses 7 through 9, notice what he says here in chapter 6. Now, therefore, it is another failure for you to go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept the wrong? Why do you rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Then he goes on to say, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Then he says, be not deceived. Neither fornicators. Now, notice, how I many you know God is intentional? So if that's the first thing he listed, Holy Spirit listed, 
That's the one that triggers everything else. And I'll improve that to you. I don't care what the world is telling you. I'm going to teach you the Bible. All right. Letter B, and we'll close here. What was the real problem? This is real quick. What was the real problem Paul is dealing with here? The Corinthian Christians were not behaving like the distinct people they truly were in Christ. They were behaving just like the unrighteous people of the unbelieving culture that surrounded them. And that's why Paul went on to say in the words of our passage this morning, or do you not know? See, and he's saying the same thing to you by the Spirit of God. <laughs> or do you not know? But you're not going to inherit eternal life. Do not be deceived. Now, in verse 9 and 10, I want to close with a clarifying statement. Notice in that list, he says, neither fornicators. First thing that he lists there. Okay? Fornicators is a Greek word, pornos. It's where we get our English word, pornography. Why is it so quiet in here? <laughs> Things that make you go. See, and we live today in a pornographic culture. Right? You turn on social media, I mean, everyone is... Every, every, every one. Am I right or wrong? My God, I'm just trying to wish somebody happy birthday. Am I right or wrong? My God, don't, that's why I only, that's why I got off for two years and I will only do one right now because it is just too many images. All day long to be sitting there just, just booty everywhere. Just, I'm just trying to wish my friend a happy birthday. And so, I'm just using this to set up next week. I've got to close. Music department can begin to prepare themselves. Matter of fact, let's all stand to our feet. I've got to close. I want to set this up this way, though. The reason fornicators are the first one used is because that Greek word there is pornos. It's where we get our word pornography. And so if you think about it this way, whatever we feed our flesh is what our flesh will crave. So if you sit there and you watch heterosexual stuff, you will want and desire that. If you sit there and you watch same-sex stuff, and then the seed is planted. And I'm going to show you all of this from the Word of God. Once the seed is planted, the more you watch it, the more it begins to grow. I can tell you, I can go back into my teenage, my childhood, and know where that all started from. See, back then, you have it right in the palm of your hand. 
It was a magazine or something back then. And the seed was planted. And the more I looked at the magazines, the more I watered that. Till eventually it overtook me and I had to act that out. And you're going to see that same principle is true for homosexuality, lesbianism, and everything else. I didn't, I'm not talking about what the world is telling you. I'm getting ready to show you what the Bible is teaching you. And we open ourselves up to these behaviors and lifestyles. And we, it's just easier to blame it on somebody else. And say, I'm this way because of or exempting my own personal responsibility from what I do. I'm ministering to the church. Don't look around. I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to the church. Come on. I need a little support in the church. And so this is, I don't want anyone, no condemnation. This is what I want you to notice and leave with today. Then we'll pick up on next week. We're going to deal with one verse at a time. And so if you know anyone struggling with heterosexual, same-sex attractions, we're even going to talk about a word called infeminate. Infeminate means to dress softly or gay. So in other words, it's, it's men dressing like women and women dressing like men. The Bible has something to say about that. It should be clear who's who. So invite your friends, because I'm not backing off, and I'm not scared of you. If they want to know the truth, come and get it. We're going to give it to you straight in here. Be no confusion in this church. So Paul was not condemning anyone, listen very carefully, for stumbling or falling. He wasn't condemning them. Now, talking about people who made a mistake. It's not what he's referring to here. These are things that are set before us as ongoing lifestyle practices and habits. They aren't presented to us as mere acts someone may occasionally do, but rather as names by which someone is identified. They are practices that were so fully embraced and around which everything else in life was so completely accommodated that the person doing them became the thing identified by the name of the thing. And in such a way as to be called unrighteous. So in other words, we can look at a person based off of what their practice is and we can call them what they are. Not mistakes. Okay. I want to pray for you today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for you online. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for everyone, including myself, that's hearing your word today, Father. That the convicting power of the Holy Spirit starts right here at the house of God with those physically in the building and those virtually watching online. And Father, may they receive what has been imparted to them today. May they not in any way throw this out as information that is not true and accurate. 
And may your convicting power settle down within them, Father, and help us to accept this as truth and then begin walking in it every day of our lives. And Father, I'm praying that you would raise up your kingdom as a standard against this godless nation that we live in to show the world the right way to do things, Father. And let that start with us right here at the house of God. And Father, I personally accept that challenge. And I pray that everyone listening under the sound and authority of my voice accepts that challenge. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away, and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died, rose from the grave, and He is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth, what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God in Jesus' name. Praise God. We are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations. We are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit us at linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, view past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 94000. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.